Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 18th episode of the Making Sense of podcast. Um, I'm joined full house today, joined by the whole team. So we've got Liz, we've got Tonya, Heather, Antonia, and Bex. You want to say hurrah, hello? Hello. Hello. Hurrah. (laughs) That didn't really make sense. Uh, We'll carry on anyway. Um, Hurrah to be here. Just really happy and excited and pleased to be joining. Okay, um, so before we start, so we're, we're looking at, um, there's a word called, there's a concept or a term called individualism, and, and this podcast is focused on that, but before we go into that, I wanted to just say a real, real couple of quick things about the Foundation for Change approach, and this is in a way like, you know, people who have been on our courses, you know, may have kind of realised this, they may not actually know this, um, and it's also useful, obviously, if you don't know who we are and kind of what we do. Um, I just wanted to say something about, you know, what we think about theory and knowledge or information. And something that's really important to us is that, you know, knowledge is power. You know, there's kind of a reason that it's a bit of a cliche, but there's a reason that that kind of phrase has been so um, taken on by the world. Um, but there's just something about the fact that, you know, knowledge is something that's really useful, but we want to take that a bit further. So we want what we teach in our courses to actually be applied by the people learning it. Yeah, I mean, I hope you'll agree with me on that one. Um, so there's just something very much about, you know, teaching, for instance, a bit of theory and that it not just becoming like a kind of intellectual or kind of heady exercise. I think there's just something really important about us wanting to then you know, get people to like literally swallow it and and experience it and live it and kind of try to really, you know, maybe be it if it's something that they want to do. You know, so a good example of that is, you know, you can read all the books you want about riding bikes and, and that can, you know, only take you so far, which is actually not very far at all because you may not know how to ride one until you actually get on one and you won't be able to experience one until you get on a bike. So, you know, just something very much about kind of like, you know, there's a bit of a two-stage thing. There's theory, but then there's a really wanting people to kind of like really delve into it and apply it to themselves. Um, The other thing that we do is that we want people to see the relationships between the things that we teach, uh, the topics that we cover, you know, they're all interconnected, it's very relevant to this little mini series that we're on at the moment, um, systems thinking. Um, So just kind of presenting stuff or, you know, teaching stuff that all all interconnects. Um, and in this episode, we still have our systems thinking hats on, and we want to, we want you to keep flexing those systems thinking brain muscles by kind of applying the concept in different areas and in different ways. So, so in the last episode, we were looking at social inequality, um, you know, really serious topic, but it was also our way of getting you to understand uh, a kind of really complex issue through a systemic lens. Okay, so we're just going to kind of continue in that little vein today. Um, really, really quick recap to you all. What is systems thinking? Seeing something as uh, being interconnected, so it doesn't sort of stand on its own. Um, so there are, it's kind of like a, a, a moving parts. Like I think we used the car analogy last time, and I hate to go back to that again, but um, a car can't drive if you don't have a steering wheel and a pair of wheels. Um, and uh, it's the same with um, all other kind of uh structures or kind of like things like the criminal justice system for example 
Okay, so you said something before about like a system and you know having different kind of cogs or individual parts that exist within that system. Um, do the cogs realize that they're part of this bigger system? Not always. Not always. Can you give an example? They just do the one thing that they are specifically designed for or where they sit in the system. So they just concentrate on that and they never really think about what's happening around them. Absolutely, yeah. So the episode we did before the last one was very much about that idea that actually like systems, you know, we, we often don't realize the systems that we live in. Um, and when you kind of scratch the surface even more and it starts to get a bit dark, you actually start to realize that a lot of the systems that exist are very invested in you not seeing that system, yeah, as a way of kind of holding power, for instance. So um, in this episode, we decided to look at the concept um, of it, it, individualism. And, you know, one of the way, I mean, we'll kind of go into this a bit further, but I think um, a, a way to understand it is that it's, yeah, it's a political or a social stance, or, you know, I kind of in my notes was just writing, it's a thing that exists in the West that is often not realized. So again, kind of just what I was saying before, like we often don't see systems we live in, let alone question them. Um, and, and, and again, just kind of another really quick question. So if we're not question, if we don't see the systems we live in and if we're not questioning them, what impact does that have on us? What impact does that have on people and Makes them unhappy. Hmm? Well, one is it makes people unhappy because there is, they don't really, it makes people even more unhappy. If they're unhappy, they tend to blame themselves. They don't see the, the bigger picture of the part, the mm -hmm. part the system they're in. Um, plays, you know, within with, that the, the part the system plays to perpetuate, say, inequality or something. You know, all you do individually is experience inequality. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's quite hard to actually also think about that big stuff where actually you're just dealing with the kind of everyday disadvantages that you face. Yeah, you're dealing with the impacts of the system, but yeah. without seeing the system, totally. it just you know, life can just become a kind of never-ending series of impacts, kind of both positive and negative. But you know, without really understanding um, what where those those come from. Yeah, and I think quite often people aren't really given the chance to understand a system or they're not really given the opportunity to kind of or they're not given information that helps them understand the system. And you know, that's what we're trying to do with this. Little series. When I was growing up, I really wanted to be like um, a hippie because punk hadn't happened then. And um, I used to read stuff and go, oh, it's all about the system, man. And I used to think, yeah. And I just didn't know what system. I was like, what system are they talking about? You know, what is this system? I thought it was just one thing um, that was, you know, they're oppressing everybody. So I think it, it's useful to reiterate that, so, you know, there are lots of interlocking, interlocking systems. Um, not the system. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so I guess, you know, as we go through this podcast, one of the things that I wanted to say is that we're going to be chucking in a few other concepts and terms related to individualism that can, you know, we're doing that to help deepen your understanding of the concept. And some of these words might feel or might kind of seem a bit intimidating when you first hear them. So just kind of bear with us, right? Um, you know, like all the other podcasts, this is going to come in the handout and we'll, we'll have all of these terms in there. Um, so just kind of kicking off, like, okay, so we've already talked about individualism. What, has anyone heard of the, that term before? I, I hadn't really, I didn't really look into what the word actually meant. 
um yeah so and i've just i've actually had a look at it and um yeah it's kind of confusing because i was because because it's like when i've just read about it it can be quite positive and um you know culturally as well you know you can be taught to be really independent and don't rely on other people but then you may be in a benefit system where you need to rely on that so it's for me when i just read that it kind of um it gets me thinking kind of it goes off into so many different 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 things does that make sense did you find my notes because <laughs> yeah. I, I was just thinking i was always taught to be independent it's really important to be independent but we you know we grew up when i was growing up we was on a benefit system we depended on the benefit system so we you know it, it's kind of um it's kind of really interesting what i've just read yeah i mean the reason i'm saying like if you found my notes just because yeah you're absolutely jumping the gun so we'll get to that in a second um, before we just kind of go into individualism, I mean, I think for me, I find it really helpful to understand what something means by understanding its opposite. Yeah. So, um, you know, we have individualistic on one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is collectivistic. And again, kind of might be words you've heard of before, maybe not. Um, and I guess just to kind of like carry on the explanation. So individualism and individualistic are, you know, it, it, that tends to kind of characterize the cultures that we have predominantly in the West. So, you know, just for the sake of argument, let's just talk about the UK and maybe the US. Okay. Um, the opposite collectivistic is something that describes cultures, for instance, in like, I don't know, the, the East. Um, and when I say that, you know, a good example of that is somewhere like Japan or somewhere like India. Um, so a really good way of kind of like understanding the two and the differences between the two are what each culture kind of emphasizes and stresses. Okay, so individualistic cultures really stress like the needs of the needs and the importance of individual needs over the group's needs. Whereas in the East, whereas somewhere like Japan or somewhere like India, it's the opposite. So the needs of the group are way more important than the needs of the individual. So I may have said that this to you before, but like I lived in Japan before and they have this concept of wa, which I think really helps to understand um, this concept. So in a collectivistic culture where like Japan, where the needs of the group are more important than the needs of the individual, they have this concept called wa and wa means like basically kind of group harmony. And so what they're very interested in is kind of like maintaining the harmony of the group. So if you're a person that wants to just kind of um, say something about the group and start questioning things like and because you're really frustrated by what's happening within this particular group for instance that would be really frowned upon because they're just saying well you're just placing your needs over the needs of the group maybe the, the group doesn't need to know that stuff and maybe the group just needs to kind of like stay together and stay connected to just maintain the sense of harmony yeah so there's a lot of stuff around kind of like not sticking your neck out that's why in japan you know, there's a lot of kind of um talk about um you know conformity and and not not being different to other people like being the same because actually the group is more important than the, than the individual okay. so yeah and india is the same so and just kind of chucking in a bit of personal experience so imagine how confusing it was for me growing up in this country where I was, you know, having both. So I, my family is, has a very kind of collectivistic mentality, but the society I grew up in and live in has a very individualistic outlook. 
Yeah. So quite often you you hear about, you know, um, immigrants coming to a country like this and having a real identity crisis. And it makes sense because actually quite often, if that's the case, if people are kind of, for instance, coming from the east to the west, it's like two very opposing mentalities. It can be really confusing. Like, which one do you go with? You hear one set of rules at home and kind of norms and beliefs, and then you experience a whole other and opposite set outside. Two very different um, cultures. So it's like, you know, it's, it's a cultural thing yeah it's a cultural thing and i think it just helps us to understand that actually like it's really easy for us to think that like liz was saying before like oh there's only one system or you know we think that this is how things are and just assume that things are the same everywhere else in the world but because we just don't question the system um so just kind of picking up with some things that tonya was saying so yeah let's just kind of focus now on, on individualistic societies or cultures um what so you know we in the uk we live in an individualistic society what what does that look at what sorry what does that look like the main, i think the main thing is you know we, we kind of live in a society that places real value on you know whatever you want you can go for you can achieve whatever you want and actually without thinking about what bodies you might have to step over to get there it's very much encouraged to be like, go for your dream. You know, it's it's that kind of thing. You, you, when we were chatting earlier, you talked about that that kind of American dream thing. It's like, yeah, any, you can be anything you want. And you can't see it in X Factor, like, come on, Simon, this is my dream. You know, so that that it can, at, at its uglier end, be, be expressed in a sort of sense of entitlement. But, but, you know, I can't sing, but this is my dream. It's my right to be a star because, you know, that's what I want. So there's a real kind of emphasis on you, what you want is primary, of primary importance mm -hmm. rather than consideration of how that might impact others. Yeah. Lots of stuff about independence. Yeah. So kind of really valuing independence personal goals, like those are saying, dreams, ambitions. Kind of like everyone has the power to do something. Like everyone has this power within them to achieve whatever they want, which sounds, I don't know, I guess it could sound quite positive, but really it's not, is it? I mean, that's the thing, like on the surface, it's like, okay, great. So we're this kind of like, you know, this nation that, um, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on kind of standing out and being unique and, you know, following your dreams and all that stuff. And it's really easy to think like, oh, well, if we lived in somewhere like North Korea, we'd never be able to do that. But, you know, we're so lucky to live in this kind of like society that values these things. There are downsides. What are some of the downsides? Now, just before we go to the downsides, I think yeah. just worth picking up on is there's a, there, there is a really long and very rich history of kind of English eccentricity, which, which are, you know, kind of is very focused on individuality. So that's just like the plucky English. No, I'm not going to fit in. And, you know, again, that that has mm. lots of really kind of um, really great and positive attributes, that sort of sense of, no, I am not going to just play along. Um, but, uh, you know, once again, you see it in someone like Stanley Johnson, it, it can kind of become a kind of exceptionalism and like the rules don't apply to me. So, you know, mm. suddenly you get a whole load of people going, well, the rules don't apply to me. And this, the, you know, it, it's a knife edge, isn't it? Because there's something, there's, there's something really fantastic about that kind of rebelliousness but it can become arrogance. 
And that's that's what we're talking about. I think when in individual individualism, more negative sides are it, it just becomes a sort of exceptionalism or a a entitlement. So, OK, so you, you grew up in a society that is basically kind of saying, yes, your needs are really important, you know, follow your heart, you know, do what you think you should do. So that kind of creates this almost sense of entitlement. Yeah. And then people believe that the rules don't apply to them. I'm thinking of Dominic Cummings, uh, Cummings right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Kind of around, around the corner from you, Bob, doesn't he? Yeah, he, well. Get him, get him in. <laughs> Cameo. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, exactly. It's like individualism. It, and Antonio picked this up. It, sound, it sounds like a really great thing. And, you know, that it, it's really important for us to be able to express our independence and authenticity. But actually to also recognise um, the the way that might negatively impact other people not all about your needs but it, you know what it leads to is identity politics as well where you know you are just become this oh i'm this and i'm that it's all about you see you see what you're not and you in you, there's a tendency to overlook what connects us so wait i mean this is also interesting because i never thought about this before so i mean it makes so much sense now and it's so obvious I feel a bit embarrassed saying it but this kind of like plucky idea of you know the English and you know like it's having its roots from you know that go back a really long way of course the American dream is connected to that yeah do you know what I mean so like Brits going to to America and kind of like staking their claim on this land and then kind of you know they went with the sense of entitlement they were kind of like loaded with the sense of entitlement from before yeah and actually, the kind you know, the native population were were somewhat of an inconvenience to this um, individual kind of dream. Yeah, wow. Yeah, and just kind of going back to the downsides when obviously kind of you know colonizing <laughs> native populations. I mean, can, you know, maybe it's a whole other episode of of this, just looking at kind of the mindset of colonialism. But you know, it's it's connected, isn't it? Um, and but just kind of bringing it down to like an individual level, I think there's just something about if independence is this value which is really highly prized and valued, then any kind of dependency on others is often seen as shameful or weak, yeah, or embarrassing. Yeah, it's it's one of the things that interests me is like lots of because kind of we're going to be talking about meritocracy or you know individualism as a kind of an, a kind of political or a way of understanding a society, you know, like um, many systems such as patriarchy is a system, like many systems, uh, weakness is is really found, you know, that's the kind of, that's the thing that cannot be, vulnerability cannot be expressed um, with, a, with a society full of individuals because then you, it's dog eat dog, you know, it's like, well, you know, the, the strong survive. And if you um, express vulnerability or weakness, that is a really dangerous, um, uh, you know, expression. Can I just give, I hope this doesn't derail too much, but I wanted to, I was just thinking about something that I read years ago and, and I kind of like um, dug it up last, actually last week. And but it was looking at the kind of mindset and the culture in Japan from the 16th century. So, so for people that don't know, like Japan, you know, it's an island, it was somewhere that hadn't had any kind of contact with foreigners until really late. I think it was like kind of 18th century, like like 18 or well, 19, maybe even 19th century, like, like mid 1850s or something like that. Anyway, 
And so what happened is that from around 1600, but I think this is more because that's when records, they had records, up until kind of foreign contact, they lived in the society where they really frowned upon growth of kind of businesses. So, you know, obviously very kind of opposite to the idea of kind of capitalism and something that prizes growth. So for them, if you were like a small business or whatever, the fact that you just sustained yourself to the next year in the same size was something that was really prized because they, they thought that if you were growing, that's just arrogant and that's greedy. Isn't that really interesting? Like that was just like, that was this kind of prevailing attitude for like hundreds of years. And they were fully like 100% recycled, you know, that was sustainable and kind of re were recycling everything and just very kind of in tune with nature um, and their environment. And yeah, it, it just really kind of blew my mind that like it, it was something that is so opposite from capitalist ideas where growth and profit is prized. You know, and again, it's just like, you know, we're not kind of just saying like, oh, you know, one's better than the other. Although I think in that case, I think it is. Um, but it's just, you know, I'm highlighting that just to give you a bit of a sense of like, look, there are loads of different systems that exist. And that was just one. I guess we, you know, we, we uh, you, th this is what you're saying in your introduction. We, it, we happen to live right now, 2021, and where we're geographically situated in the UK, um, or West, you know, the kind of Western Europe and or America um, or Canada, um, we happen to exist in a system that uh, on the whole promotes and values individualism. And that's just, you know, how we are living and when we are living and in the spirit of systems, that's why we're looking at this. Yeah, absolutely kind of pull these all all these ideas together because it's a bit of a brain fuck isn't it all this kind of like you know individualism systems politics oh fucking hell who knows um so yeah this is just a sort of snapshot of where we're living right now yeah the culture that values individualism but like any system sometimes we don't see what that valuing of individualism does mm -hmm. and how that impacts us and that's what that's the kind of core of this um, podcast, isn't it? It's looking at the negative ways that the culture that we live in can impact us. Um, yeah. And given, you know, I mean, there's going to be going to be a new, few new words tracked in, in a second. But given that this is quite a kind of big topic, it's worth also just you know pausing for a second, just thinking, what are the benefits to recognizing this stuff? So we want you to understand that we're actually living in this kind of you know this system. <laughs> So, so yeah, so just really, really quickly, like what, what are the benefits of understanding this? So we're saying it's important, but I want to be really clear about like, okay, but why? Like, what does that, how does that help our day-to-day -day lives? Informed individualism is good because if you understand everything around you, your individualism is not based on trying to change the entire system. I know where I'm going with this. I love that. I can't that, that. Did you just coin that term? What, what term? Informed individualism. Yeah, because you can power, you can, you empower little things, but as long as you're not trying to like take power of all the systems you're in, you can, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, ultimately by understanding any system, it's going to help you understand how, you know, forces that are outside of your control have an impact on you. And through understanding those, you can, I mean, it is really interesting because it's quite a paradox because it helps you feel like you have more choices 
Um, <laughs> but you know, is that because is that are they important because you as an individual have important needs? Yeah, and you know, I think it's a really good thing to say here is that um, you know we're not trying to say with any of our podcasts with any of the things that we do we're not trying to say like you know one thing is good or one thing's bad. Um, but you know, generally, we're trying to get people to to look at just understand the world they live in and recognize that actually there are pros to it and there are cons to it. And I think this is a bit of a trap that can be really easy to fall into when looking to the east, for instance, and just kind of think, oh wow, you know, in Japan they're so peaceful and they have this kind of really, you know, they they they're really happy and they they have this kind of sense of group harmony and la la la. You know, there's there's downsides to that as well. We're just trying to kind of present. Uh, information and get people to just look at both sides to look at it as objectively as possible it's also neither one nor the other you can't live your life in one or the other you're both you know you can't you are both aren't we we're both experienced both in at the same time even so just carrying on the discussion, uh, we're going to just have a little bit of an exploration of a word that Liz mentioned earlier. So meritocracy, and it's something actually that's come up a few times in, in previous podcasts. I think it was when we're looking at core beliefs and we're looking at how, you know, a lot of core beliefs we hold come from experiences we have um, as individuals, um, as baby individuals, but a lot come from um, the society we live in. Yeah, we talked about that. I think we talked about it on the Shame podcast as well. Um, Liz, do you want to say something about explaining meritocracy and its relationship to individualism? Yeah, I mean, meritocracy is just a word to describe a, a political system. It's really old, you know, it's from, from Greek. It's been around for ages. So meritocracy is just one description of how a society is structured, right? And, that, and basically meritocracy says that people get advanced, people gain more power through their own merit. So, you know, the people who succeed um, are the ones that are the best. I mean, you know, cream rises to top, um, you know, dog eat dog. I mean, they all describe a kind of way of, of social functioning, way that societies function. That mean, means that it's only the, the you know, the, the 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 cleverest or the um, most you know skillful people reach the top, and then, and again that kind of seems like quite a nice idea. It's like oh yeah, all right then I'll I'll just you know have to work really hard um, because um, you know to re to reach the top, and then you know. As, as as we've developed a little since since ancient Greek times, when when slaves had no rights whatsoever, and um, uh, men ruled without any kind of uh, you know men ruled the the entire political sphere without women or servants having any kind of say in anything. So it's quite straightforward. It's like okay, we men, the best ones, rise to the top. But as we know, society's got a bit more difficult then now. So um, meritocracy is used slightly differently these days. There was a book written by a guy called Michael Young in 1957 that's, that's really important. He's English and he was a sociologist and he was very kind of left wing, actually. And he, he, he wrote this book called The Rise of Meritocracy to take the piss out of the government of the day. Because governments, you know, throughout the 20th century, um, on the whole, there's been a, a few Labour governments, but on, on the whole, governments have been stuffed full of white men that went to Eton 
and then went on to Cambridge or Oxford. And, you know, I just kind of grew up with power throughout their lives, power and privilege. So Michael Young wrote this book as a bit of a piss take about, you know, the men who were kind of running Britain at that time. And um, it, 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 it's kind of, it's, it's, it's evolved and changed even, you know, since then. It's, it's an odd word. It, it's kind of been around for a long time, but it keeps shifting in, in its meaning. And, and meritocracy now is very much connect, is, is, is kind of used without satire or, or without it being a piss take, just to describe um, that, you know, people who rise to the top are there because of their own merit. And it's nothing to do with who they know or, you know, why they've been to school or how much money they've inherited or which um, reproductive, um, you know, organs they have or what the colour of their skin is. It's, it's a word that kind of says, the, you know, the cream rises to the top, only the best uh, succeed. And you can kind of see that's linked to individualism because individualism, you know, if, if you like the message, the, the rallying call of individualism is, you know, each for their own, you make it on your own, baby. And meritocracy says only the best make it. So those two, those two things are very, very clearly connected. So many problems <laughs> connected yeah. to all of that. You know, suddenly the slaves and the women went, hold on, um, this isn't quite equal, is it? Um, hold on, I've got no fucking rights. Uh, hold on, if I can't vote, how can the world be an equal place? Or hold on, um, you know, if my skin is brown, I am less likely to be able to succeed than if my skin is papery, white, thin. Uh, you know, and the, yeah, it's suddenly people started to question the idea of kind of meritocracy and, and, and the associated individualism about how, um, how bloody basically fair that is. Can anyone think of like why that, I mean, cause to me, I'm, I, I think about it and I just think it's such bollocks because it overlooks, you know, a person's class. It, it overlooks their economic circumstances. It overlooks the, colour of their skin and all that stuff. I just find it so kind of rife with problems. And if we've got time, we'll have a look at some more. But um, why why does this kind of like myth of meritocracy still exist so strongly? It does, sorry, I kind of got me, got me on. Um, I'm, I'm growling now. Um, just last week, the, the mayor, mayoral, mayoral candidate for the Tories in London put out a leaf or did an interview where he suggested that homeless people, i.e. people living on the street, could save up um, for, for a deposit on a house. You work hard enough. Yeah, yeah. And that's pure meritocracy, right? Yeah. You can, if you don't have any, if you don't have any money, you can save up for a, uh, you know, what is it? Would you need like 40 grand or something as a deposit for a house? Let alone a fucking mortgage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Getting approved by the bank. Yeah, well, here you go. I've got 40 grand. It's taken me a while. Um, yeah, so sorry, Bob, I interrupted your kind of question. Yeah, right, it's worth care, but I was just kind of saying, like, why? And it's a serious question. Um, you know, why does it persist? Because people like that have absolutely no clue about the real people's lives. Yeah. And, you know, this moralistic idea that's even from Victorian times where, you know, the poor were feckless, they were lazy, it was their own fault they were poor. And if you were rich, it's because you, you, you had the merit, you had the tenacity and the, and the, the effort to get yourself out of poverty. Yeah. And if you didn't, it was your own fault. 
and and that and, you know this capitalist thing of like money is good prop- having property owning shit is good you know even down to like that you hold what your neighbor's got and you know have the best biggest car or you know your kind of like sense of yourself and your importance at, at, is so linked with kind of what you own and how much you own or yeah. and it, it's social identity theory isn't it because i know you know it's like you need other you need people to be feckless and lazy to make yourself feel better you know your identity is very much constructed against well i'm not them and it, it kind of goes back to a kind of colonialism as well it's like you know all those people arrive on the mayfair with their buckly shoes and so on and go we're not you know we're not we're not savages we're not natives we are civilized we're not them so you know it's this idea about your identity identity very much is around what you're not rather than what you are I didn't, I didn't mean to do uh, necessarily do this, but I think it's really interesting to include it. So social identity theory is kind of, there's three parts to it. So the first part is um, we categorize. Yeah. And so, you know, when we're kind of like constructing identity, and it's not something that happens consciously. So we kind of like put people into groups. Um, and so we kind of, you know, there are kind of, you know, Man U supporters, the Arsenal supporters, and ooh, name another football team. Go on, go on. name one more. Uh, and Chelsea and Real Madrid, and you know, and so anyway, so and we have like um, I don't know, straight and gay, and we have like someone who might be Indian or someone who's British, and so we kind of like we're really normal to kind of like put people into groups. The second stage is that we then identify with some of those groups, and that's the bit that Liz was talking about. So we kind of get a sense of who we are by recognizing who we're not. So if I support Man U, uh, you know, I know that I'm a Man U supporter, and I know that I don't support basically every other football team. Mm. Yeah, so you get a sense of that kind of difference. The th- all of that is kind of fine, actually. Um, and then the third part is comparison. And so one of the problems with this stage is that rather than we look at difference, so like, okay. I support Man U and you support Chelsea and that's fine. We just, you know, we're just different types of football supporters. What happens is that people say like, we're better than you um, and all the kind of football chants and stuff. So, so the comparison is kind of an inferior, superior thing. Yeah. Does that make sense? And the reason I'm kind of say, saying this, and I think it's really relevant to this idea of meritocracy is that one of the kind of like overarching symbols associated with this kind of concept of like cream rising to the top is the ladder. Ladder to success or like climbing the rungs of the ladder or um, ladders of opportunity. And there's like loads of stuff that was taken up by politicians where they were kind of constantly talking about ladders. And I've got to say this just because it makes me laugh every time. But I think there was something that I read like in the early 2000s, some Australian politician kept using this catchphrase so bloody much that he became known as the Lord of the Rungs. <laughs> made me laugh um but anyway you know the reason i think it's really interesting is because if you think about it as a symbol it's really i think it's really powerful because what is it like think about ladder what's what's the kind of downside of ladder how many people can fit one yeah so in a way one of the things that you know one of the problems with this kind of idea of like climbing the rungs of the ladder is just like actually one individual is climbing up the ladder uh, rungs of the ladder and leaving a whole group behind probably someone at the bottom holding on yeah. <laughs> exactly a woman yeah so i think there's just this this thing of 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 we are this individualistic culture tends to set people in competition with each other yeah so in a way it's kind of this idea of identity and kind of like realizing who you are 
against you or not but i think it takes it further and says like actually there's uh what happens is people think they're better than others and this competition is just like fostered in so much and i think popular tv um tv culture is a really interesting place to look at this so if you look at something like um pop idol or britain's got talent or x factor it's this idea of just like yeah only those who have talent will make it to the top I think it's interesting like education for me is something that that comes out when we talk about this kind of stuff because ideally like education these days is free and it's open access so it would be like everyone has the same education so they've got the same chances of like having this knowledge but then it, you start getting into the things where it becomes difficult because the actual way of assessing your your education is through certain tools like exams which only you know you could be great at if you're really good at memory and and the ways that we kind of like test people to 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 succeed or the school that you do go to you know it could be like this private school where you have a class of uh, you know five five children to one tutor as opposed to you know 40 kids uh, and you know having the money to 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 pay for out of out of kind of class activities and so in on the on the look of things you know having an education is something that you know gives us all a level playing field but actually it doesn't at all yeah no no what kind of point of meritocracy um says we we're everything's a level playing field we're all starting from the starting line you know equal exactly is it the same kind of i think i think you know by now people know that isn't the case but it's really hard to square up with this idea of like individualism being good and a good thing and you know I mean it's a very you know it, it it's a very um, ambiguous or ambivalent kind of um idea that because individualism is good you know it's it, it it, that that sense of kind of being able to strive for something and express yourself isn't a bad thing at all but uh, you know the idea that we're all the same just is patently not true we don't all start from one starting line and everything and, and education is going to be the same for us or um just living circumstances are the same for us i mean there is there's nothing you know nothing for say wrong with ladders because it might be you you know you get up a ladder and then help people up you know it's like it's pulling the ladder up after yourself or what the the, the, the phrase is you know that you see a lot i mean you know people need to be trailblazers and kind of you know explore a bit and go places but it not unless they and then they go oh well it was all on my individual merits i'm gonna pull the ladder up thank you very much and nobody else can get up here well that's the thing i mean it's, it's an interesting symbol to play with because i just think again like you know slightly hung up on this but ladders generally tend to be for one person they're leaving a lot of people behind and you know that's this kind of concept that is like valued and it's just like, well, you know, that implies and denotes like people being left behind. What about some kind of like, you know, betterment for the community rather than just like one individual? Why not have a wider ladder? <laughs> Multiple people can climb up at the same time. We were kind of talking about this podcast, like in our team meeting earlier, and I think Tonya sort of um, said something which just sparked something in my head. And it's like a political figure 
um, like Margaret Thatcher, who, you know, was really lauded for being the first female uh, prime minister. And it was like, you know, this real change afoot. And now there's um, a woman who is in power and in charge. But actually, if we're using the ladder scenario, she didn't actually make the path any easier for other women. Um, to kind of tread the halls of Parliament and Westminster and all of that. Actually, she was quite vocal about how men are easier to work with um, and women are, you know, quite hysterical and probably aren't competent enough to do the job. While if you think that actually maybe she was in a position to um, open up the world of politics for women, um, so I, I don't know, I suppose the way that um, I find these things quite, the, the way that I learn is by understanding something like individualism or meritocracy for an example. Um, and it was just like when you were talking about ladders and kind of, you know, um, the fact that, you know, you pull it up kind of like after yourself, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes absolute sense as a bit of symbolism or, or analogy of how these things work um, because actually you can achieve, you know, you can go out and kind of, you know, do whatever it is you want to do. But um, what, what, what is that where you just kind of keep yourself and your nice, like, you know, country house and like retire and all your money? Like, what is it that you do um, in order to make sure that that path is easy um, and accessible for, for other people? Mm. Um, and that's, that is collectivism. That is kind of like, you know, working together, um, and uh, yeah, stuff like that. There's a really, um, you know, there's, there's a bit of the fellowship groups that, um, you know, uh, that I've always really quite liked. And it's this idea of service. And, you know, that is a very much like if you have achieved sobriety or kind of managed to give up drugs, then you don't just go, oh, fucking great for me. Um, I'm not on the gear anymore. Actually, what you do is you offer that ladder uh, and support people into kind of, you know, um, managing the same things. I mean, it all gets a bit complicated because it, 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 I'm not, on, you know, it, it's not, I think as an organisation, we're not without criticism about the idea, the idea of being an addict, because once again, that becomes like individual, like, you know, that I have individually kind of flawed, but there's something in fellowship that I think is really interesting about um, working with others and, and that being very, um, well, it's Christian, isn't it? Let's face it. It comes from Christianity. You know, it is that idea of a, commu a, a Christian community. Absolutely. And if you just have like one person going, up, it's going to be the ladder podcast, mm -hmm. going up ladder, it's like, yeah, I mean, I think it does actually break down bonds between people within communities. I think the other thing is, and, and again, I mean, this, you can get really deep into this stuff because it's such a huge topic, but I think there's also something about... Um, you know, ladders and people being able to, you know, climb the ladders and quite often it's the privilege that people are born into that means they get up higher up the ladders and to the top of the ladders over other people who don't have that kind of privilege. Um, and a lot of the time, you know, in a lot of kind of like systems, there's only room for a few people at the top. I'm trying to think if this was in the book that I read or if it was like, I don't know, some kind of weird dream that I was just dreaming about ladders but there was some kind of analogy of just this difference between like one really big tall ladder versus kind of like the society that has like lots and lots of shorter ladders do you see what I mean so just like you know there's potential for lots of people to climb up ladders and the space for everyone at the top of those ladders 
other people have more ladders to climb than yeah and and, and, you know the kind of the visual of them being shorter means that actually like this isn't some kind of hierarchy where like you know say for instance in the UK like it's an elite who are at the top and there there isn't much room for anyone else up there versus societies where you know there's kind of like I'm sure Scandinavian countries are a bit like this you know like there's a lot more kind of um it's a bit more egalitarian and also, I think the ladder analogy is really good. But at the same time, with that ladder analogy, like there are people that can't like climb the ladder in the first place. What if you can't let you walk? Have you got any legs? What if you're disabled? What if you're a woman wearing a skirt? You know what I mean, with some someone underneath taking photos when you're up the fucking ladder. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So we are coming to the end of this recording. Um, and we're talking about quite, you know, big stuff, identity and, and how society is structured and kind of, you know, some of the kind of political messaging that we experience and we quite often don't realise that we're doing that. So just to kind of cap off, I wanted to ask you what individually, <laughs> boom, boom, um, you're taking from this episode. I'd like to mention that, that we can, no matter how much we live in it, in an individualized society that we still can't get away from the fact that we are all kind of collective on this planet in the fact that you know we've got covid and you can't be you can't kind of like live individually when you've got a virus that is passed from person to person and and you can't kind of ignore that you've got to act collectively for the greater good well, I think I kind of follow on from Heather a bit um, and her kind of reflection that we are social animals. Um, there's a guy called Scott Peck, um, who wrote lots of books, but one of them was called Different Drunk Community Making. Um, and he sort of said that we all start off in this kind of fake community. And that to me just describes this, this kind of community of individuals who kind of are telling, you know, telling each other that everything's great and they're great and everything's, you know, social media style going brilliantly. But Scott Peck says actually real community only happens when in under crisis people actually recognise a brokenness and a vulnerability that's common to us all as human beings. And only by kind of recognizing this moment of brokenness and kind of, you know, connection, can we actually create what he calls an authentic uh, society or an authentic culture. And I think, you know, authentic is different from individual. And I think there's lots of confusion around that, but I, I like Peck's, I don't like the rest of his books, but I like I like this a lot because it kind of, it recognises that that need for vulnerability that Heather has picked up as a kind of pure biological need to survive and beyond, you know, mm-hmm. that we've kind of evolved since uh, having to fight mammoths and sabre-toothed tigers and dinosaurs um, so on. But yeah, that's why, I, that's what I come back to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for me, um, I think, you know, I'm always being taught to don't ask for help because it's a sign of weakness and stuff like that and just, you know, do everything on your own. For me, um, being able to then ask for help when you do, if you can get, you know, when I ask for help, it was um, about sort of um, being together and knowing that, that I wasn't on my own and that other people were there and that was... Um, 
that was um, really powerful for me to sort of move move on and not because it's not good to um, not ask for help all the time. You know, it's very damaging to to yourself. Note to self. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say um the takeaway would be it's kind of like one of two halves I suppose but um I always think it is better when we work together I just mean like people in general um uh you know across the world um it sounds like a bloody hippie thing to say but you know I am a slight hippie so I'm I'm gonna go all hippie there right now and the other one is education is key I feel like you know without understanding these concepts or theories like you know you can be blind to them or, or not kind of understand um yeah just not kind of be able to see c- certain things um and so I feel like the education is power um the part I think it's important to recognize that the parts of the system that don't work are not your own failures that you have to shame yourself with um I don't think it's as simple as that you didn't work hard enough it might be parts of the system that maybe um, didn't work for you. I think it's important to realise that and not to carry that kind of as a huge shame on yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, and I was going to say something similar. I think just, you know, the chat we had today and just, you know, doing the research behind this, it just really brought home how important it is to, you know, understand what we've talked about today because I think that a lot of people... Yeah, kind of in a way repeating what Tony said, I think a lot of people carry around a lot of shame unnecessarily. Um, And I think a lot of that shame comes from us being bombarded by messages that we we don't even realise that are getting planted in our minds. Um, And I think through understanding what we've talked about, through understanding the systems that we live in, I think there's just, you know, something about... Like I think Bex was saying, you know, not being able to necessarily go out and change the system, but, you know, recognising that recognizing the forces that the system has in kind of shaping our lives and and through understanding the systems you know developing a bit more um i don't know understanding of the choices you do have it's big stuff yeah all righty we all need to go and uh, have a nice like hot bath or nice lie down now um brain workout brain workout cuddle puppies and cats or eat cake or go for a jog (laughs) <laughs> all okay all right well listen thank you everyone um and thanks for listening and we will see you next time bye thanks, thanks. Bob. thank you